As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney, side of Sharma, uh, wiggled his way out of this one. No, nobody wanted to talk about this weekend, so he, we drew straws, and he got the, uh, the long straw, so he got to sit it out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, Mooney and I will talk Cubs today in the wake of, let's see, what's the math, 27 to 4? They score one that first game. Yeah, tw- the the two games this weekend, twenty seven to four, outscored by the Twins, and we have some specific stuff to get into. But I wanted to comment on the generality of, hey, at least now. So that's that's twenty four runs to the negative on the the uh, you know run differential for the Cubs. So we can maybe leave that for for like a week. We can be like, oh hey, good. Now things are sort of matching up a little bit better, and we don't have to be like, oh, this is just a lack of good fortune that, that misaligns the record and the runs. Yeah, I always thought, I was told that run differential flags fly forever, so I, I That's true. think that is still in the, play. But, the Cubs uh, are in the early May run differential wildcard game. Uh, it's parallel, parallel universe. Yeah, so obviously the Cubs got smoked this weekend by the twins after having won a nice game on Friday um, that feels so distant now. Um, And instead, what's interesting about these losses is at an individual level, when the Cubs get really stomped in a game, I'm actually more able to shake those off quickly and easily as a fan um, than like the close losses where you can look at individual things in the game and say, ah, if only this, if only that. Um, those kind of stick with me, but the big, massive blowout losses, I, I lose them easily. The flip side of that is when they come at the tail end of a stretch where the Cubs have lost a lot of those closer games, instead of me 
being like I can shake off the individual games, but it starts to feel like I can't help but start thinking the narrative like, oh, okay, so those close losses, it wasn't that they were they were competitive and in it and close. It was they didn't win those games because actually they kind of stink, which I know that's an extreme overreaction in the other direction, but I, I also know lots of people are thinking it. And so it's sort of like I got to tee it up, got to say it, get it out there, and then we can deconstruct it. Well, I did like your metaphor of the, you know, rising or setting sun. That's always good for uh, a baseball season. And I mean, literally Friday night, I can't remember who tweeted it, but, you know, I was just kind of checking in to see what people were saying. And someone said, like, this might be the best win of the year on Friday night. The way they won, the, you know, the contributors who stepped up and then obviously the next two days uh, just getting their doors blown off. And I'd say that. We kind of hinted at this early in the year that Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele probably won't have one point something ERAs the whole year. You can shake that one off. I do think Hayden Wisniewski picked a really bad time to have a really bad outing uh, with Kyle Hendricks uh, looking better, uh, presumably much sharper uh, if the health concerns are off the table. Um, I think, you know, we alluded to this as well of like, you know, what are we going to do when Kyle gets back? It's like, well, these things usually have a way of sorting themselves out. Baseball has told us that over and over again. And, you know, maybe uh, it is Wesneski. I think it'd be really interesting to see how Jamison Tyone pitches tonight in Houston. Uh, he's had these two essentially major league rehab type starts in which his pitch counts uh, were limited and he was coming back uh, f- off the injured list. So um, the Cubs are roughly 25% through their schedule now on pace for uh, 77 wins, which would you know mark an improvement from last year. It would also confirm basically what all the projection systems <laughs> said they would be uh, after all of our talk about run differential and things like that. So um and at the same time, they're in a really bad division that in which no one has run away with it. So, I don't know. It'll be really to see how they come out of this road trip. And another thing you said, Brett, that still kind of echoes in the back of my head is the schedule that looked really difficult on paper is not necessarily the schedule that you play. And, you know, the Astros aren't as intimidating as maybe they were when you think back to last October. Um the Phillies have been up and down and the Cubs handled them last year. And, you know, if the Mets are banged up um, and just this whole new schedule, like you don't have those, you know, 19 games against the Pirates built in. I think everyone's kind of adjusting to and dealing with that new reality here as well. Yeah. And it, it's um, a reminder that in every game, there are two teams. You, we focus of course on the, Cubs because that's who we cover that's who we talk about that's who I'm a fan of but you know the other teams have their story that they're telling too and these things are are shaking out and you look at last week when it was the not at all joking dread of mine that the Cubs would help the Cardinals get right and sure enough they go to Boston this weekend and they're knocking off comeback wins and, and looking like they are resurgent uh and that is sort of the flip side of that schedule comment that like 
even if we acknowledge that, okay, yeah, you know what? It looks different than it did on paper, but then it's like, yeah, but maybe the Astros are going to get right this week too. You know, it's like <laughs> the Dodgers <laughs> got right after their the Dodgers got <laughs> really right after facing the, have they lost since uh, they facing the Cubs? Uh, so I think that that's something to always keep in mind as we're watching these things play out. And, and, you know, the other thing is if the Cubs can hang around 500, like you said, Mooney, this division doesn't necessarily project to be one where there's a, a team running away with it. And so you hang around 500 and then you're a good week away from, from leading the division, you know, and if that good week happens in August or September, okay, great. You know? So that's where I'm at as an observer of this team is just trying to hang on to the fact that I do think there are, remain individual stories that look better than we would have expected in spring training. And that's good. That's great. Um, <clears throat> you know, any over 90 win projections that people started dreaming of in April, I think not only have been dashed, but we're not ba based in reality in the first place. It, it was really more of a, you know, you, you just want to see an above 500 team that competes in a division that might not have many of those. So I want to turn it back a bit to the Wesneski Hendricks stuff, because I did think it, I, I struggled to talk about it at times and write about it at times as Kyle Hendricks was rehabbing, because I not only had it as just a latent assumption of mine, that of course he was going to take Wesneski's spot in the rotation. You know, you go through the other four guys, they're all on big league deals, established, and Justin Steele established. They're, they're, they're not relievers. There's, there isn't going to be a change there, whereas Wesneski is, is still a young guy, still finding his footing in the big leagues. And so I never really saw it as much of a question. And then he went on that run of several good results starts. But even then, I felt like I could still see the things that clearly needed work, that that he wouldn't necessarily suffer from time back at Iowa to, to work on facing lefties, to work on the fastball command, to sort of get himself into a, an even better position to succeed later this year and beyond. And so um, it I wouldn't call it comforting that he had a, a, a bad outing this weekend. I mean, four, four long balls, that was what did it. Um, but it. But at least it I, reminds folks, I guess, that like, these guys, when they come up, it, it isn't fair to assume they're a finished product. It isn't, it isn't fair any stretch of like four or five good starts to be like, okay, cool. Now we can throw away Kyle Hendricks. I mean, that it doesn't, that just doesn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense anyway from a depth perspective, but it doesn't make sense from a pressure on these guys perspective. So I say that in advance of an anticipated option to Iowa for Wisniewski, whether this turned through the rotation or next, that's not it's not a slight to him. It's nothing against him. This is part of the process, especially when you have some decent depth that the Cubs do now. The other day, David Ross mentioned, I forget which pitcher he was talking about, but it was the old John Lester saying of like, all right, if you give me 30 starts, I'm going to be lights out in five. I'm going to be really bad in five. And then we'll, you know, try and make it work through the other 20. And that's a, you know, hard thing to like for us to say or like to process because, you you know, you kind of think of like, uh, you know, giving your all every single game and like, you know, professional sports are life and death and stuff like that. But like that's kind of the reality of it. like guys can be really bad and really good within the same season. A lot of it is just kind of managing 
those dips or figuring out how to win when you don't have your best stuff. And I think that Wisniewski Hendricks is like are two guys on obviously opposite ends of the spectrum uh, and with Hendricks being the last guy left from the 2016 team and Wisniewski as this guy with what appears to be a pretty bright, bright future. And I think, you know, if you kind of gave truth serum to Cubs executives, like would they rather see Hayden Wisniewski just like figure this out at the major league level? Like if 2024 and 2025 are your breakthrough years, like would it be better for Wisniewski to get those 30 starts? And he's already had a couple of those clunkers thrown out of the way and like have him work this through at the major league level. Um, But then again, he hasn't necessarily earned that right. And Kyle Hendricks is one of the most consequential pitchers in franchise history. And it's worth it to see what he has. And it's probably too soon to start getting into, you know, what's he looking like at the trade deadline? What I, knew do you were gonna, I knew you but were going to say that. <laughs> right? No, I mean, it's, you're thinking yes, about this a, too, right? Yeah, you've I got mean, it. It has to cross your mind. Yes, yes. I mean, having him and, um, you know, I think the idea was, you know, kind of, popping him in at some point this year and hopefully he gives you basically what Drew Smiley did last year, like the good, like, you know, 17-ish starts and uh, a lot of quality is the word Kyle keeps using uh, instead of the quantity of the almost 200 innings he used to throw. So um, it'll be fascinating to see kind of how how they roll with this one because I, I don't feel like there's a an answer that's going to satisfy everyone on this and even throwing Kyle Hendricks in there. He hasn't pitched in a major league game since like July 5th last year. And he appeared to be on a pretty steep decline and what the Cubs have done, you know, through his input and, you know, uh, some medical experts weighing in as well. Uh, it was a really comprehensive, big idea to kind of overhaul things and improve his athleticism and tweak a couple of things. So, like, this is not necessarily, like, the plug-and-play Kyle Hendricks. Like, there's a lot of unknown with him going into the rotation, too. Yeah, in that respect, it'll be interesting to see what that runway looks like. Uh, because, uh, like you said, setting aside the any trade deadline considerations, there is still significant value in the Cubs knowing two things one whether this kind of programmatic overhaul of a veteran pitcher can work because who knows what lessons you can take away from that that will bear fruit for years to come and then two you know Kyle Hendricks is only 33 yes he would did appear to be on a steep decline but what if it was the shoulder what if it was the mechanics that that got into a place because of the shoulder that sort of created a feedback loop that then diminished his performance and what if they have figured it out the Cubs do have an option on him for next year and they do have potentially Drew Smiley and Marcus Stroman walking uh, after this year opting out of their deals and so you know it just seems to me that when you think about all the competing interests in a decision like this uh, it's going to militate in favor of giving Hendricks plenty of runway and probably sooner rather than later because Otherwise, I think you're probably right. The Cubs might look at Wesneski as maybe Justin Steele from a couple of years ago and like, okay, you know what? We got to just give him because that, that second half in 2021, right? They they just decided, 
we're going to give him starts and he's going to develop and work through this stuff. And like, there were multi-start periods where it was like, no, this guy should really be a reliever. This, he should be an impact multi-inning reliever. And who knows if he hadn't had that time to really face big league batters and figure himself out and figure his stuff out and, you know, concentrate on what he did well against uh, big leaguers while starting, maybe he never becomes the guy he is now. And so I'm, I'm sympathetic to the Cubs feeling that way, but I'm also a fan who wants to see them compete this year. And I think there's, it's at least worth finding out if Hendricks can help you in that respect, especially knowing other starters are going to get hurt. Other guys are going to miss time. Like you said, Jameson Tyone, he's back, but he sure doesn't seem like he's fully back in terms of his ability to, to be his complete self in starts. You know, it's, it's, it's weird to have a guy for whom in hindsight, they were pretty clearly keeping Javier Assad on the roster so that he could piggyback with Jameson Tyone specifically. And that's not a tenable season long strategy. And so that isn't me saying Tyone's going to get booted from the rotation or anything like that, but you do wonder if, at some point it's like, ah, I'm still kind of feeling this or I'm not recovering as well as I need to. And the Cubs reassess that. Um, let's, uh, let's turn it over to the positional side. I didn't prime you for this pre pod. So hopefully I don't catch you totally flat footed, but it's one of the things I see a lot. And it, you, you, you often, I think have interesting perspectives on this kind of thing because you are very good at, um, observing, fan discourse and then sort of synthesizing it. Um, I want to talk about Matt Mervis and I specifically want to talk about, is it time to send him back to Iowa? That's see, (laughs) that is the discourse to which I refer. And I was thinking about it because as we talk about like, you know, Oh, Hayden Wisniewski, you know, it's, it's not fair to assume he's a finished product. And if he needs to, you know, if you have a log jam and it's like, okay, let's give him time at Iowa to keep working that's understandable, et cetera, et cetera. And I, from where I sit, um, so Matt Mervis isn't producing yet. Okay. It doesn't really bother me, uh, even as I want the Cubs to be competitive this year, because I don't necessarily see what else they have available as being so obviously superior that it would be worth saying, oh, 30 big league plate appearances. Guess you can't hack it. Um, that just seems crazy to me. Now, maybe, maybe I'm being a little bit of a Mervis Homer. I I don't know. Um, But I think it's, I don't like to see the extreme polls of like, he absolutely has to be up. You got to give this guy a chance, which by the way was me, Um, stacked, (laughs) admittedly stacked against, you know, he has two weeks that he's facing some of the toughest matchups he's seen in his life and he needs time to adjust and he's struggling. He's not producing and having a lot of those same people, not me, uh, saying, okay, it's time to send it back. This is ridiculous. I don't know. That seems like an extreme overreaction to me so far. Well, I do think this underlines what we've alluded to, and I tried to write it and say it politely because Matt Mervis, by all accounts, is a very good uh, human being who put up extraordinary numbers in the minor leagues, but the Cubs were not exactly sold on what he could be. Otherwise, they would have drafted him with the five picks that they had uh, in 2020. And obviously, there were lots of circumstances in that. Credit to Matt Mervis for making adjustments and working extremely hard and having a great mindset to go out and prove it uh, 
uh, every day. But like those doubts were part of the conversation in April. I mean, that's why they loaded up on uh, options at first base DH. Now these options weren't like uh, top shelf per se, but they were options to kind of create a cushion or some, um, you know, insurance. And, you know, I think this is why they waited, even though it seemed like forever, if you're a Cubs fan clamoring for it, because what if he comes up and he's like three for 30 in his first time up, or he, you know, doesn't hit home runs. And then it's like, okay, you've already played that card. Like now what? And so, uh, I do think I'm not going to like defend Eric Hosmer to the nth degree, but that's, they kind of wanted some know-how over there. And then it's like, once you press this button, it's like, okay, now what? And clearly, uh, Christopher Morell has given them a jolt. I was quite frankly surprised that they didn't call it Morell before Mervis, even though it kind of felt like a, a tandem move. Like he was the guy who was really crushing it down there. He was the guy who had major league experience and, you know, made some of those adjustments. So I think at this point you might as well, let it ride. I don't know. See what Edwin Rios does in Iowa too. Like get him some regular bats. He didn't like play for you know over a month, um, and that's the one that to me I'm a little surprised they didn't give Rios more runway. Not that you know I have uh, some <laughs> elaborate knowledge of Edwin Rios's potential, but like if you give a guy a million dollars, you have the kind of Dodgers pedigree. Um, has shown production in, in bursts, won, won a World Series ring. Like, uh, I have to give a shout-out to Cody, our guy in Detroit. Had a nice lead note on Zach McKinstry, who's playing extremely well for the Tigers. That could be another one who got away for you, Brett. But, like, some of this, you just got to roll with it for a while and let a guy build up at bats and see what you have. And there's no rule against sending him back when he forces your hand. But, like... Right now, I think it'd be pretty short-sighted to do that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Yeah, I uh, that's all such good stuff, and I have so many thoughts that I'm trying to collect them because I I understand that I am absolutely trying to have it both ways insofar as I want the Cubs to see this season as an opportunity to be competitive. And so they are going to have to be quicker trigger on certain decisions. And yet I want a guy like Matt Mervis to have the runway to, even if he doesn't succeed, to see what it's like to have big league pitchers exposing your flaws. And then after a substantial amount of time, you, if necessary, take that with you to the minor leagues and then you can work in a control environment on whatever changes are necessary to try to uh, create a situation where the next time you get an opportunity, you can succeed more. Um, I don't know how long that runway is. I know that it's to me substantially longer than we've seen now, especially because sometimes guys can make those adjustments in the big leagues. Um, And so I think that um, the McKinstry thing is funny because I often try to remind folks and he's a good example because he you know sort of got away from the cubs and now he's having success in a in a full-time role with the tigers but we look at this in the same way when the cubs try to pick up a flyer on someone like they're probably pretty good at identifying talent you know like when when you pick up a uh, multiple guys from the dodgers as the cubs have you know like the Dodgers like these guys too. They could identify that there was potential there to be big league contributors. It's just that the circumstances are such that you might not get the playing time that helps you get there, that gives you enough of that length of time to make those adjustments or to just get more balls to fall where it suddenly looks like, oh, this is a guy who's, you know, uh, can compete. Because it's not as if Edwin Rios, see these, these threads all tie together. It's not as if Edwin Rios in his brief times with the Dodgers getting playing time where he did produce it, it. It's not necessarily that just like, Oh, he was better with the Dodgers. It's just those were stretches where he was producing. Like he probably has a big league capable bat. You help, help him with the right matchups, give him enough time and the stats stabilize. And you know, he can probably produce like you, why the, like, I think, you know, why the Cubs didn't quite give him as much of that look. I don't know. Perhaps there was more interest, at least initially, in getting Mervis this exposure because of some of those maybe con- concerns or questions about how he would hit big league pitching. You want to, you almost need to expose him to it so that the process can continue. But I, I don't know because this all, this whole process takes place against the backdrop of guys like Christopher Morrell emerging. And then you're like, well, you've got to give him playing time. You just can't not, you know, Patrick wisdom is having an amazing year quietly. You got to give him playing time. The team is trying to win games, you know, so you've got to focus on that and you can't always check all the boxes. You can't always do all of the things that you want all of the time, which is why guys like McKinstry and Rios become available in the first place. And so I, I reserve, I don't have a lot of criticism necessarily for any of the decisions in this circle of related events, other than I wanted the Cubs to get that look at Mervis sooner rather than later, because I didn't feel like there was much of value for him or for the Cubs happening at Iowa. You know, he was likely to just keep raking, doing what he was doing, and you're never going to know. And so now we're at least getting productive and useful information. The Cubs are getting it. We as observers are getting it. Mervis himself is getting it. And you hope that that leads to something 
of value down the road and not a situation where he becomes one of these guys who didn't really get the playing time. And then two years from now, he ends up on the Mariners and it's like, how the shit did this guy, where did he come from? Um, so that's kind of where I land on all that. Let's, it's like, let's circle back in two weeks and see, see where we are. Well, I'd circle back to the point you made about Wisniewski comparing him to Justin Steele in 2021. And that was year one of a new slash old regime. And like, this is year three. So like the pressure points within the season are the deeper the Cubs get into this, they have to kind of make certain decisions and press certain buttons. And I wrote about it this weekend, like, you know, Ben Brown is, is the hot name now, you know, and props to him. Like he's six foot six, got a crazy curveball, like big time fastball. Um, you know, several Cubs staffers have referenced what a great duty is, just how thoughtful and confident and mature he is. And that's great. But like, we were hearing some of this stuff about Caleb Killian last year too. And David Ross told us everything we needed to know after his spot start in Miami if he's not ready. And I think as an organization, this is that prove it year that we've been talking about for a while. So, you know, you don't have to, the Mervis decision, the Wisniewski decision, it's like, they just have to be right. And the kind of, uh, patience level, as you see uh, on social media or in your comment section on Bleacher Nation, Brad, is is thinner or lower uh, than it was. And that as long as, um, you know, Wesneski or Hendricks pitch well, it's fine. Um, as long as either Mervis turns it around or the Cubs, you know, maybe show a little more, I don't know, is imagination the word of, you know, as long as the lineup works, no one cares what the order is. Sure. Um, so if, if Morel crushes that leadoff, uh, if Nico comes back healthy, all those things can kind of massage some of these points. But at, at the end of the day, um, you know, people need to see results. The greatest crime the Cubs committed this year was being sneaky good in April because it just gave everybody that taste and, um, you know, if that had taken place three months into the season instead of that first month, maybe all of this frames differently. But it didn't. It played out that way. And so the Cubs are uh, amidst what feels like a, you know, slow car crash scenario where we'll look back in weeks from now and it's like, oh, God, everything fell apart after April. Um, you can't know when you're in the middle of it. And you kind of just have to let, you know. <laughs> This is a lot of doom and gloom, man. I, you know, like, well, but, even, but I'm, I, even I'm like, that's, that's you know, but let's I'm let things to, play see, out. I'm wrapping it in this idea that that's just a perception. That the flip side is you can look back at three weeks when the Cubs turn it around and you say, oh, wow, getting their asses kicked in Minnesota really turned, really became a, a great rallying point. And it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating thing about a, a season of 162 games is that you, you can't really know what some of those stories are going to be, what the ones that we write or the ones that you tell yourself as a fan uh, until more of it plays out. And that's kind of how it's going to be. But I, I did enjoy this conversation, Mooney, especially because we talked on some of the organizational decision stuff, player development, and that. that. I like focusing on that more perhaps than these bigger narratives that will 
become more artful, I think, as the season goes on and we understand more about what this year was and what this team was. And that's that's where I'll leave it. Um, I, I get it that you enjoyed not having Sahadev on this podcast. That, uh, that, I, I heard that loud and clear wow. in your that was my, wrap up. That was my David Ross, Caleb Killian <laughs> comment. Was, was, you know, well, he's Sahadev's, not ready. He's not ready. <laughs> Love him. Love him, but he's, he's not ready. Uh, this is On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney. Get his at The Athletic. Get the Cubs in Houston because that's where they are playing this evening for a three-game set. And we will be back at you on Thursday to talk more Cubs. We appreciate you as always. Take care, everyone.